This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Somebody's back from vacation. Somebody is back from charting Chris Sale pitches on Twitter. Oh my <laughs> 93, 95, 96, 93, 92. His name is Greg Bedard, and this is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles. It's brought to you by Cuban Rounds, a handcrafted, all-natural, and affordably priced cigar that is Havana-inspired fantastic stuff. We'll give you more info on that a little bit later. Before we get into the football, Greg, and of course, <laughs> it is here, first practice tomorrow. How was the vacay? You feeling nice, relaxed, energized, ready to go? Uh, you know, I was and uh, I was right up until I had to wake up this morning and get uh, Bill Belichick uh, grunting at me at 830 <laughs> in the morning. So, uh, you know, it's made for a long day. There'll be plenty of those. But, uh, yeah, it was great. And I tell you, the truth, I forgot about the Chris Sale thing until you, you mentioned it. And we might as well give our listeners a little Chris Sale update uh, for those that don't know. Baseball is actually my sport. Uh, I went to Rutgers. I played baseball. Uh, I coach softball and baseball um, a lot now. And so I love the game and getting out there. That was, it was great. On the way up to Maine, where we were going to Maine, uh, Chris Sale had to start. So we stopped off in the Portland Sea Dogs. Uh, the people there were terrific uh, with us. And the family got to enjoy the game. I got to work a little bit. Uh, saw Sale. I thought he, he was sensational on his first start. I mean, he was. He was untouchable. Everything was working for him. His second start, you know, Nick, I, I I will say, and he just, afterwards, he just thought that he was missing over the middle of the plate, which I guess could be expected. And it's his second start, so coming back from Tommy John, so right. not everything's going to be, not, not everything's going to be an upward trajectory when that happens. And so, um, you know, I will say, as a Red Sox fan uh, in my core, I was a little cautioned by the second start because there were a couple times in that, and if people aren't familiar, so he cruised through the first two innings, 13 pitches, nine strikes each time. Third inning, he gives up a double, wall ball, uh, a home run, a wall ball double. The home run was over the over the uh, left center field scoreboard there at uh, Hadlock Field. And um, – they hit him around hard. Every Other than a bunt single, they were all hit hard. And the thing that concerned me a little bit, and I want to see how he bounces back in Worcester on Saturday. I will not be there for that, but I'll, I'm sure I'll find some way to watch it. Um, when he was trying trying for that jam in the third, and they had first and third. Did we just lose me? No, I hear you. Okay. Uh, there's something happened with my camera, so sorry for... Um, dealing with that. But anyways, so uh, while well, I listen, um, when he was trying to get out of that jam, a couple of times you could tell he really tried to gas it up. In his first start, he touched 98 a couple of times. He was 96, 97 consistently. This time it was running like 93, 94, 95. And when he was trying to get out of that jam, he really could only get up to 94 and he was having a tough time. But so I was I was a little uh, cautious about that, but other than that, he was in good spirits. He looks he looks like he's going to help the club, and it looks like it's going to be perfect timing. Interesting next couple of days for the Red Sox. Obviously, Friday is the trading deadline. They've been linked with Max Scherzer. They've been linked with Anthony Rizzo. So some big names out there. We'll see what High and Bloom does. And you know, hey, listen, I think he's playing with house money. I don't know how yep. many people expected 
before the season, you know, began, I said 85 wins and I had people tweeting at me that I was crazy to say 85 wins. And so, you know, I think this team is better than anybody expected. They're a lot of fun to watch. I mean, there's, they're yep. the antithesis of last year. You know, I was working at EEI last year doing some late nights. Of course, the only year I did late nights at EEI, I get stuck <laughs> with a terrible Red Sox team. And uh, as soon as I leave, whammo, they're a lot of fun to watch and they're winning baseball games. So hopefully that continues. All right, let's get into the football. Uh, yep. Training camp, as I said, is here. First practice is tomorrow. You sat back. You listened to Bill Belichick drone at you today, as you said. But uh, he was asked about the quarterback position. Have a feeling he's going to be asked about the quarterback position every single day. He stands up there at the podium. Uh, did he signal a competition today, Greg, at that quarterback position? A little bit, Nick. I, I, you know, I think a lot of people might have gone a little bit overboard with it. But you, you got to look at a couple of facts. Number one, Bill Belichick didn't mention one player by name during his press conference. And I think it was... That's by design. I think it's, you know, it's all centered about the team. It's all about the team. Um, and I also went back and I looked at his comments from last year. And look, you know, Cam was new to the organization. But Bill had very similar comments uh, back then. But I do think, you know, he brought up a clean slate a bunch of times. I mean, to me, Nick, I don't know how you view it, but the only guy who needs a clean slate really on this team you know, that's going to be a major factor, could be a major factor, is Cam Newton. Because yeah. um, second and a half of the season was was bad. And so now they bring in all this talent, second year in the system, knock on wood, no, no COVID for him, all that stuff. And so to me, I think he was signaling like Cam's got a clean slate. And so, you know, we're yes, we're starting back at, at zero with everybody, but you guys might think that he stunk up the joint last year. But me, Bill Belichick, I, I I don't even know about last season. I don't know what you're talking about because he's got a clean slate and we're going to go. And I think, to me, Nick, I think I haven't really changed on where we've been this offseason. I think that Cam is uh, probably at least 1A entering camp uh, with Mac as a 1B. And then we'll sort of see how it goes. I mean, look, the first week is not going to be very competitive. And Bill even said today. Well, we're not going to be in pads for several days. It's so they start on Wednesday. First two days are in helmets. Uh, Friday and Saturday are in shells. They have to have a day off on Sunday. Pads go on on Monday. That's when the competition starts. So the the next few days are going to be a refresher for everybody. Cam better be on point with all that stuff. Make sure Mac's not too far ahead of him, because everybody's going to hit the ground running on Monday. And I say the the scoreboard starts on Monday. Yeah, I mean, looking at this competition, and I do think it is a competition, I expect Mac Jones to be the starting quarterback at some point this year. I'm just trying to figure out when that's going to be, and it's probably up to Mac. I don't think Belichick will choose politics over play. You know, he, he didn't do that with Brady and Bledsoe. Yeah. You know, he doesn't do the PR thing, right? He didn't do it in Cleveland with Kozar. He got killed for that. He's not worried about those kinds of decisions and, and how they are read by the fans. He let Brady walk. Obviously, it backfired last year, but he's not worried about PR. If Mac Jones outplays Cam, I think he gets the gig. I think that he has to outplay him by a decent amount, though. I think if it's close, then you probably see Cam start the season, and then maybe you revisit that week after week, or maybe you wait until after week four against Brady and the Buccaneers. But I do think, listen, 
there's there's no need to rush Mac Jones early on. If Cam is playing well enough to start, then he starts. And then if he if he starts to fail, if he starts to fall apart, at least you have somebody, hopefully, fingers crossed, you can go to and say, well, now the future is happening. Like, the future is now. We're handing the keys to Mac. We gave Cam a shot. He played well enough at camp. He played well enough in the preseason to start the season. The guys were behind him. And it was his opportunity, and he failed. And now his NFL career as a starting quarterback is probably over. But I, I do think Mac at some point plays because I'm with you, Greg. Whether it's week one, week five, week 10, inevitably, I just can't see Cam consistently playing at a high enough level to keep Mac Jones from taking the gig. If Jones plays up to par, if, if he's able to, to show us even more glimpses than he showed us at mandatory minicamp, I, I think he's good enough. And I think he fits with mm-hmm. this offense better. And I, I think he can run the offense better. So inevitably that will happen. Let's talk about the cro- uh, crowded PUP list. A bunch of names. I'll quickly run through them. And then you can pick some of the names that jump out to you the most. We've got Kyle Van Noy, Trent Brown, uh, Stefan Gilmore, obviously, is on there. That's no surprise. Chase Winovich is on there. Somewhat of a surprise, Jared Stidham. That kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Byron Cowart, you had said beforehand when we went over the defensive roster, uh, this is a pretty important camp for him, mm-hmm. and he's, he's trying to stay on here. Linebacker Therese Hall, uh, Dalton Keene, linebacker Brandon King, and then uh, Davi, uh, Devin Asiasi, due to COVID, uh, according to reports, Asiasi is fully vaccinated. The reason why we bring that up is because it actually makes a difference. Because he's fully vaccinated, he doesn't have to sit around for 10 days. If he if he gets negative tests, I think it's back-to-back days he can come back, which is gigantic for him. I mean, when I first yeah. saw this, I said, oh, man, if he's out 10 days, what the hell? That That's not what you need for him. But because he's fully vaxxed and he's got, again, reportedly minor symptoms, hopefully he's back sooner rather than later. You start and run with it. You let me know which ones jump out to you the most and why, Greg. Okay, so let's start with the, with the ones, Kyle Van Noy and, uh, and Trent Brown. And uh, so to me, uh, seeing that they, – and they came on late today. So t- today, to let people know, Tuesday – People report to the Patriots. They they uh, they go through physicals, all that stuff. So maybe they didn't pass their physical. The conditioning run is also on this day, okay. and so uh, to me, that signifies that they might not have they might not have passed their conditioning. Now I'm not saying that happened, and I, I don't know anything about that. But that's normally the way things work in the NFL. Is that you're if you're added late, it means Either they caught something on the physical or you failed your conditioning run. So they could they could clear tomorrow morning. Well, I think Kyle Van Noy has a better chance at Trent, than Trent Brown, but we'll have to see. Um, Winovich, you know, a, a little bit surprising because, he, you know, he missed the offseason. And, and so, you know, what's he dealing with? Um, Stidham, yes. Big surprise. I don't know what he's dealing with. Um it's it's concerning and i'll just say this you know and you mentioned it and we'll also deal with the the rookies that are on the nfi list you know we knew mcgrone and bledsoe they were hurt when the patriots drafted them right but ramondre stevenson the running back he was out there 
in practices, he might have missed something towards the end, mini camps, things like that. But, you know, you, you lump Jared Stidham, Cowart, Keen, uh, Devin Asiasi, uh, even if he gets out there. When young guys miss practices, I don't care if it's one or two or three or what have you, it's bad and it's not good. It's hard, especially for rookies. It's very hard for them to make up that ground. And so I'm concerned. And frankly, Nick, when I was, you know, putting our rundown together, like I'm a little bit bummed that, you know, a lot of these guys are are not going to be out there. Like I was looking forward to, you know, what's happening on edge with, you know, Chase Winovich and, and and Kyle Van Noy and all these guys. And now, you know, two of them are already out, at least for a certain amount of time. Uh, Byron Cowart's, I think, in a, in a roster battle uh, on the interior. And so he can't lose ground. Devin Asiasi, we talked about it. I thought he showed some promise in the spring. And so I was looking forward to him sort of asserting himself and maybe grabbing that number three tight end spot. Dalton Keene. We talked about him at length a few podcasts ago where I'm just like, you know, if they have two tight ends, you know, how many fullbacks are they going to keep? You know, is he is he really a tight end? You know, what are they going to do? This is not going to help. You have your two third round rookies from a year ago who got off the very slow starts and now they're off the slow starts in this camp. So I'm just I'm disappointed because I was looking forward to seeing a Patriots team that was at full go with everybody. Uh, they have a lot of ground to cover. They have a lot of gelling to do if they really want to be a really good football team this year. And and a lot of that stuff, David Andrews talked about it today, the camaraderie in camp is the biggest thing and learning your teammates. And they have a lot of new teammates. This is, this is uncharted waters for the Patriots and that they have to acclimate not only rookies, but a bunch of veterans into what they're doing. And so uh, the quicker everybody can be on the field, the better. I'm still very optimistic about this season, um, but having these guys still sort of sort of in the stall as they're starting camp is is mildly concerning to me. Well, Trent Brown is somewhat of a concern because of his history, and we've mentioned that a few times. You've been all over that. Is he going to be in shape? Can he stay in shape? We know that when everybody left the facility after minicamp, Brown stayed. So. Is he not in shape? Is it another issue? Is it a tweak? We don't know, but he is a guy that, again, he's got a history that might lead you to some questioning whether or not he'll be ready, which would be a problem to me. Uh, Dalton Keene is also one that sticks out to me, as you mentioned, because this is a big, big, big season for him, and he's got to prove himself. And the same goes for Asi Asi. I mean, I say less about Asi Asi because I, I don't know the situation. He obviously got COVID. Again, he's fully vaccinated so I don't know what happened there. Hopefully he's back sooner rather than later. But the last thing you wanted to see was, you know, these two young tight ends who did not have a chance at a preseason last year. And we've said this throughout the offseason, right? At least for me, when I look at the rookies from last year, they get a pass. And I know some people don't agree with that. I, I know some people say, oh, you can't. I give them a pass because of the circumstances. I said, I'm not going to bury a rookie last year given COVID and everything that was going on but they needed to show themselves you know as as a developing entity for this roster so they could make the roster and if you're getting off to that slow start this preseason it's just not great so hopefully 
Asi Asi gets those negative tests and he's back quickly. And hopefully it's nothing serious with Keen and he can come back as well. As far as Ramondre Stevenson, your thoughts on him, Greg? I know some people were saying it was going to be pretty much a redshirt season for him anyway. I don't think you necessarily bought that from the jump, but could this be what we're seeing? Or is this kind of an unexpected snafu in, in this dude's rookie season? Yeah, I'm. I, I think it's a little bit of a surprise, Nick. I, I, I do think that. Look, the running backs around here as rookies, they typically don't play. So you could certainly say that uh, he was headed for a redshirt year. But I think, I think the possibility was that if he popped, if he was a good player, and he looked like a uh, that he could take a lot of snaps, um, should uh, Damian Harris go down, then maybe it makes Sony Michelle expendable, who's going into his final year. They did not pick up his fifth year option. Um, uh, of course, the Rams suffered a big injury with Cam Akers. Uh, tearing his Achilles, so people naturally were like, "Up, oh, Bill should be on the phone." And Sony Michelle, they have they have guys that they can plenty of good backs there. But uh, the only way Sony Michelle, in my mind, becomes expendable is if a guy like Stevenson steps up. And 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 Bill even mentioned it today. He's like, you know, sometimes you have guys who start fast and fizzle. Sometimes you have guys who start slow, and 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 then you know build their play throughout camp. And you have other guys who, you know, especially at a running back position, I know traditionally it hasn't hit quickly here, but in a lot of other places, running backs don't have a problem playing early. And so right. I think the possibility was there that he could step up, earn some time, and possibly get the Patriots thinking about trading Sonny Michelle and, and getting an asset for that. But, uh, you know, if this, if this lingers, um, you know, past, I would say past a week, I think it's going to be tough for him to to do much of anything this year. Yeah, I would say if there's one room that you might be able to survive without, you know, somebody being a part of it for a week or so, it would be running back. I, I think they've got some depth there. Of course, that counts on both guys that have always kind of been dinged up a little bit, right? Damian Harris has had his issues. We know Sony Michelle. But if those two guys are healthy, you've got James White, you've got J.J. Taylor, you've got Brandon Bolden. I still feel pretty good about that spot. I'd, I'd be yep. more concerned about the depth behind the tight ends, especially given Jonu Smith, who missed mandatory minicamp, and Hunter Henry's you know history. Uh, I think Dalton Keene and Asi Asi, again, pretty big there. All right, we got more questions for Greg, a lot more information for all of you guys and gals. But first, Bedard again was on vacation. He was bragging to me before we actually started recording the thing about how he enjoyed some cuban rounds up in maine tell me about it greg yeah nick look it's it's the best time of year summer's in full swing grills are heating up and sports are in full swing and and now we have football season coming look that calls for, calls for a celebration go ahead and enjoy the only thing left to do is get yourself a cuban round cigar whether you're celebrating your college graduation or just hanging out enjoying the weather weather cuban rounds are bringing you the taste of havana I got to say, Nick, so uh, me and the family went up to Maine. We were out in the middle of nowhere up there, but <laughs> we, we we were on a lake, had a beautiful, you know, outdoor fire, dock, stuff like that. I went Hi. down there. I took one, of, I took a, a handful of the Cuban rounds with me. And I got to say, like, look, I'm not the biggest cigar guy around, but I smoke them over the years. And, and I, you know, I like a good one. And I, I, I got to tell you. I was surprised at how uh, smooth these cigars were, um, how the, the the quality of them, they're handcrafted, they're all natural. 
Um, they're really well balanced. Um, and, and it's reminiscent of Cuban mastery. And they, they say these are Havana inspired. And trust me, I, I believe it. Um, it's refined, nuanced, perfect. Each smoke highlights the quality of the leaves and the complexity of the tobacco within. Cuban Rounds is built on accessible luxury. Their cigars boast a premium look and superior flavors. And look, you know, I don't BS people on here, whether it's about the Patriots or anything else. And I got to say, these are really good. They came came in a great-looking box. They look really good. Uh... The smell was terrific. The draw was awesome. I I really enjoyed it. Just sitting around the fire, having one, and, and just you know relaxing. And so, look, the last two years have been tough on all of us. Let loose and enjoy yourself with a Cuban round cigar. They offer a luxurious experience with a high quality product at an affordable price. A Cuban's round cigars is a guilty pleasure without the guilt. And now you can enjoy that yourself the right way. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at. Cuban Round Cigars. That's Cuban Rounds Cigars on Instagram and Facebook. And one legal disclaimer, Cuban Round Cigars are not available for sale to individuals under 21 years of age. Warning, cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. Nick, I got to send you some of these uh, so you can enjoy them down in in Virginia. Maybe you're not getting as much rain as we are uh, up here. So you probably got a nice deck that you can enjoy one. So I got to send you some of these because I'm telling you, they're good. I'm ready. Cuban rounds. Check them out again on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, Back to the football. Greg, we look at the wide receiver position. Mike Thomas's injury down in New Orleans. I immediately thought, hey, well, you know, that's a team that, Belichick might be able to call, or maybe Sean Payton calls his buddy Bill and says, nope, "Hey, different Patriot." <laughs> well, what's going on at wide receiver, and what's up, especially with Harry? I mean, we we haven't heard anything. There was the there was the request via social media. We talked about it, and then we found out that Harry would show up to camp. Not surprising, of course, he has to show up to camp. But what's going on? I mean, it's been pretty silent since that request from his agent, Greg. Man, how about how about you know you're thinking about a Patriots receiver to New Orleans? Little did you know it was going to be uh, Chris uh, Chris Hogan. Hogan. Yes, <laughs> who can't decide what is he a lacrosse player, or football player, or what? How long was the lacrosse career? Was it uh, two months? Was that was that it? He, he, he... He tried it and said, all right, it's not working out. He got traded, didn't he? He, he started with uh, the Boston Cannons, and then he got dealt. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, he's signing with the Saints. I think – I don't know whose career was longer. Jonas Gray as a starter or lead back for the Patriots wow. or Chris Hogan as a professional Jonas lacrosse Gray. player. But, <laughs> yeah, that was a little blow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I just love Belichick today. He was asked about it, and he just basically, like, flicked – uh, the Nikhil Harry trade request of, you know, of course, even with Stefan Gilmore, we don't talk uh, contracts and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, look, I think, I think wide receiver is a very interesting group in camp. I mean, you know, not only do you have the newcomers in Aguilar and Bourne trying to see what they have, where they fit, uh, how they're going to get on the field uh, with two tight ends that we assume are going to be out there a lot. Um, you know, but you also have Jacoby Myers and, and Nikhil Harry, and um, I, I, I will be keeping a close eye on Nikhil Harry during camp just to see if, you know, after this trade request, because this is virtually unprecedented with the Patriots that uh, a player who has accomplished so little 
has gone public to yeah. uh, to demand a trade from the Patriots. And as an added bonus, his agent basically pointed the finger at the Patriots on why he wasn't getting enough chances. So it'll be interesting to see how the quarterbacks, how the fellow receivers, how um, uh, Mick Lombardi, the receivers coach, how Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick all react to the Kale Harry. But look, Nick, I'm still in the same place. I still, you know, like I said before, I'm disappointed in Nikhil because I still think there is a good football in that body and he's just got to give it. This was going to be his one good go. You know, we've talked about all the built-in excuses that he's had and, and he had a chance. I still think that chance is there. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe this, maybe his agent knows his client and sort of lights a fire under him. Uh, I don't know, but it will certainly be something that we'll be monitoring throughout camp. I'm interested in Nikhil Harry for obvious reasons. You mentioned them. The other guy I'm interested in a lot is Bourne. Like I, I want to see who he is, what he is out there. I've seen him play for San Francisco. I've seen him play a decent amount. But San Francisco is a pretty tough place. They spread the football around. They run the football a ton. As we know, they didn't always trust Jimmy Garoppolo, even though, again, Shanahan and company named Garoppolo the starting quarterback for the season today, whether that lasts mm-hmm. or not, who knows? Trey Lance not signed yet. Zach Wilson, not signed yet. Nobody's talking about it. Two of the top three picks, not in camp yet. We'll see how that works out for those teams. But Bourne interests me. Like I want, I know what Aguilar is. I knew who I know who he is. I've seen him play. I know what he can do and what he can't do, and I'm ready for that. I've seen Jonu Smith play a ton. Hunter, I'm kind of just interested in Bourne, and I, I've read a lot of good things about him. Seems like he could be an under the radar kind of guy. So he piques my interest. Let's see what happens with him. Uh, speaking of the new guys, how fast do they get up to speed? I mean, this free agency period, we went through it. I said during my time on WEEI that, you know, you look back to 2020, and I, I think Patriots fans wouldn't necessarily mind if 2020 ends up being a speed bump and not a crater that yep. the, you know, the, the car that was driven by Belichick just fell into the crater, and that was that. And I, I think, you know, the first thing Belichick had to do was be aggressive, understand that the roster needed retooling, and take advantage of opportunity. He did that. I mean, I don't have any complaints about this offseason. I really don't. Is it going to work? I don't know. What it depends on, first and foremost, these guys figuring out what they have to do and getting up to speed. Your thoughts on that, Greg? Yeah, I think this is another one of those areas. People always ask me, like, Greg, you know, what are you going to be watching in camp? How do you prioritize what's going on, players on two fields, things like that? And, you know, look, it's not it's not easy. I'm especially – I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to deal because the quarterbacks are so important because seven-on-sevens usually go on at the same time that the one-on-one pass blocking drills go on. And everybody knows how, how much I love those pass blocking drills. And, oh, yeah. You know, I basically, like – you know, I take notes and then I then I then I roll around in those notes oh, once it's over. Get you, you going. <laughs> I got I gotta I gotta get a little dirt going on, you know, on my chest and things like that. You know, I gotta get ready for it. And <laughs> so that's gonna be tough. But one of the things I will be watching is and, and it'll probably I'll probably rotate every day with a couple of guys. You can't see everybody every day. It's impossible. But out of the new guys, there will be, you know, a, a two or three that I watch every single day that I'm, I'm looking for the little things. Um, 
you know, are, are they running the right routes? Are they having to be corrected? Are, you know, are people showing frustration with them? Are they frustrated? Uh, because I, like, like I said before, this is unprecedented with the Patriots that they, that they have so such an influx of talent. And a lot of it, you know, we've seen in years past, Nick, where the Patriots, you know, they'll bring in a handful of veteran players to, to, to plug the gap. And, and look, that's how, the dynasty basically started with um, a, a lot of those guys uh, with with the Patriots that they brought in, a lot of you know journeymen and veterans. But they've never brought in this high-priced talent, but also young talent. These are guys that are not in their prime. They're not on the downside of their career. The Patriots are betting that they're on the upswing, that they got them before they hit their prime. Right. And they, they paid prime numbers for Aguilar, the tight ends, um, you know, we know about Trent Brown and, and, and you know, and there's some other guys, but Judon. these guys are vital. Yeah. Judon. Great, great one, Nick. Um, these guys are vital to what the Patriots are going to do. And so they need to get up to speed. It's not guaranteed for a lot of these guys. And so the faster they get acclimated and, and really play fast. And that's the big thing. There's, there's knowing what's going on and there's playing fast where you don't have to think about things. That with the Patriots on defense and on offense, especially, that's where newcomers have have an issue, and so that's what I'll be watching to see. All right, this guy is now playing fast. Now they can start doing some things with player X, and so that's going to be a huge key in this camp. All right, up next, let's go to special teams. Uh, I know everybody's pumped about this. If my guy Adam Jones <laughs> ever listens to this podcast, which he probably doesn't. Uh, but if he does listen, he knows special teams. He'll be going crazy right now. He he, he loves that. Uh, kicking competition. Now, Nick Folk was unfreaking believable last year, especially given the expectations. I don't know if any of us expected Folk to be a Folk legend when he's out there kicking bombs and, and you know, one of the – honestly, one of the highlights <laughs> of the 2020 season was Nick Folk. Uh, is there a kicking competition? Is your guy Quinn Nordine making some noise? What's going on? I don't know. I know a lot of people are trying to push that narrative, and and, and who knows? But I have a hard time seeing it. I mean, you're talking about a guy in Nordine who was very up and down at Michigan and was not reliable. And look, Folk was awesome last year, as you said. Uh, I did I did not think that he had a great offseason when he was there and I think he only came to the mini camp which probably didn't go over great with Belichick um but uh I have a hard time just in one offseason all of a sudden Quinn Nordine fixes everything that ailed him uh up in Ann Arbor and suddenly is you know Greg the leg or Sebastian Janikowski or (laughs) what have you all of a sudden like I have a hard time seeing that and I have a harder time seeing Bill Belichick with Nick, let's face it. This team, just like last year, is going to have a very small margin of error in every game. Like until maybe the second half of the season, I have a hard time seeing them blowing anybody out. And so everything is going to count. Bill loves special teams. I have a hard time seeing him going with a guy with a nuclear weapon for a right leg. Um, but you're not sure where it's going to go. And so I, I have a hard time seeing that. But who knows? We'll see. I mean, this is something we would probably talk more in depth about midway through camp. 
We talked about the running back position. I know you had a note yep. about the crowded backfield. Anything else to add to that, or we're good? Uh, I would just say the in something we've talked about before, the James White, J.J. Taylor dynamic. I think that J.J. Taylor is a guy who, if I had to pick one guy on offense who's going to pop in this camp, I think it's going to be Taylor. And w- w- what does that mean? How does he fit into the crowded backfield? What does that mean for James White, who's on a pretty modest one-year deal here? Uh, who did not have much uh, action on the free agent market. Um, you know, could J.J. Taylor supplant James White? I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. It's unlikely. Uh, James White struggled uh, last season. He struggled in the offseason. If that continues, I think that's something to monitor. Yeah, and I think, you know, listen, we all love James White. And yep. I, had, I had tweeted last year, right after the season was over, you know, I said he, he went through a lot of crap last year and people yep. said, oh, crap. You know, and I'm like, yeah, crap. And, and I know some people thought it was me being, you know, uh, lacking heart. Or, that wasn't the point. I mean, when you go through stuff, when you go through trauma and, and tragedy and and all, I, I say stuff. Right. I say another word for it. But if I'm talking to my buddy and, you know, he's gone through a lot over the last year, I'll say, man, you went through a lot of ish. You know, you went. And so that's kind of what happened with James White. He went through a lot of stuff last year, a lot of tough mm-hmm. stuff, a, lo- a lot of, you know, losing his dad and his mom was in, in bad shape for a while in the hospital and on the field, he didn't perform. And you have to imagine that some of that had to do with some of the things that were going on with him. And, and there was this thought that maybe he goes back down to Florida closer to his, to his mom and, you know, maybe stays with family. And so I know people, we have an attachment. I have an attachment if you've watched this team long enough. And, you know, I, again, we all love James White. He always says the right things, and he's a, he's a good interview. He's a thoughtful guy. He seems like a really good guy. But Belichick, as we know, this isn't about who's the best guy, who the nicest guy is. And on the field, you grade who James White was last year. You, you, you don't think about, you know, personally how it affects him as much as you, you know, try to fight that. It is what it is, as, as Bill would say. And last year, he was not the same James White. And he did not have a good minicamp. And I think if, if he looks the same during the next several weeks, I would not be surprised if White is gone. And I, I think people have to try to, as hard as it is, you know, draw that line. You got to draw that hard line between personal and professional. And Belichick's got one job, and that's to get the best 53 guys. And if he doesn't see it from White and he thinks White, we know this running backs happens all the time. If White has fallen off a cliff, Bill's going to be the guy to know. And uh, I would not be, I would not be surprised if Taylor does take White. Uh, I would, I would hope that White makes it again, because he's come up so huge in in the biggest of moments, including when he should have won the MVP at the Super Bowl years ago. Uh, but if if it's it, it's it. That's the nature of that position, man. It's really, really tough. Uh, BostonSportsJournal.com member question of the day. Check them out over at BSJ. $39.99 on the annual plan. Top-notch analysis of all the Boston pro sports. And if you're a patch junkie, which if you're listening to this, you are a membership at BSJ. Gives you access to a ton of video analysis that Bedard does on the coaches' film and direct access to him in weekly chats. Greg, an interesting story over the past week or so. As the NFL continues to deal with COVID and, and the vaccination rates and all of that, uh, we saw Cole Popovich, offensive line coach, one of two, uh, be let go 
by the organization. And according to reports, it had everything to do with him not being vaccinated. Uh, how big of a loss is Popovich, Greg? Well, at first, I, I didn't think it was much of a loss. And, that, and that's really where I am at the end of the day, um, mostly because, you know, so Carmen uh, Brasillo, um, you know, if, if from what I know, he was the main offensive line coach last year. Uh, Popovich does. It was his first year as an NFL offensive line uh, coach. Um, you know, same same as as Carmen. Uh, he but Carmen had a longer history. He was at Youngstown State as the offensive line coach for a long time. Uh, you know, played at Duquesne. Uh, long history of coaching the position. Popovich did it some. He was also uh, a college offensive lineman, um, but Carmen was really the more senior guy, from what what I've been able to understand about the the situation. And, and Popovich also, you know, he had been like sort of a low level Patriots assistant. He had been at like uh, what is it, Minot State? Uh, that's where he came from before he came to the Patriots when he was just a coaching assistant, then assistant running backs coach. So, uh, in, in my mind. Uh, Brasillo was the the main offensive line coach. But look, these guys worked well together last year to uh to sort of make up for Dante Scarnecchia's retirement to the point where yeah. we really didn't even talk about it because the line was really good last year and dealing with a lot of stuff um you know from different injuries, Marcus Cannon not being there, um you know you know Andrews having some issues here and there. Um and you know they were able to get, um, you know what's the rookie's name? Who was the rookie last year? Uh, it's slipping my mind. The offensive lineman. Oh, I know. Job. Yeah. Uh, you know to get Michael Wenu up to speed to the point where you could make arguments that he should have gotten votes for offensive rookie of the year as a six round pick. I mean that was tremendous. So those guys did a tremendous job, and they did it working together. And now it's just one. Maybe I, I assume they're going to have somebody help out. Um, I, I'm sure there are other offensive assistants that can help out with that if needed. Um, so it's not great. And then I heard David Andrews today talk about, he's like, he was asked about the change and he said, he said something along the lines of, you know, I've had three offensive line coaches when I, when I, since I've been here and he said, well now four. Okay. So. I mean, did he view Popovich as more of the offensive line coach? Maybe hmm. Popovich took the interior guys, and and Brasillo, you know, dealt with the 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 tackles more. I don't know how that went, but I I don't think it's significant. The Patriots know what they're doing. It's a veteran group now. Not a lot of green guys. They have Ted Karras coming back, who could probably he's probably going to help out coaching the line um, for crying out loud. <laughs> you know how many times he's been here and how smart he is. Um, he would be a he would be a great coach down the line now now that I say it out loud. Um, so I don't think it's a huge deal. It's not great, but I, if you're asking me, do I expect the offensive line to take a step back because Cole Popovich isn't there anymore? No, that's not happening. I think this group is going to be outstanding. I think it's going to be one of the best in the league, and I'm more worried about the quarterbacks getting the protections and diagnosing things more to make sure the offense is working right than the play of the offensive line. This offensive line 
should be a top five offensive line in football this year if they're healthy. And I agree with you. I don't think Cole Popovich is the difference between that happening and not happening. I just I, I can't imagine that being the case with as much talent as they have. But Dard, straight off of vacation, straight out of Maine, sucking on Cuban rounds, drinking beers, hanging out by the fire with the wife and the kids, going to see Chris Sale. I mean, this guy has done everything over the last week, and now he's back at home getting ready for another football season. We're all excited for it. Training camp is here. It is official. My guy Bedard will be all over it. We'll be all over it. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. Again, brought to you by our friends at Cuban Rounds, a handcrafted, all-natural, and affordably priced cigar that is Havana-inspired. Until next time, be good. <laughs>